Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hello everyone, welcome to Rights for Women, or should I say welcome back to Rights for Women. I've been on a bit of a break with the podcast over the last month and a half, probably about five weeks or so. As many of you will know, my mother passed away at the end of June, and on top of that, we had a holiday book to attend my nephew's wedding in the UK and then to spend time with friends in Spain. And I'd just like to say a massive thank you to all those people who sent me condolences on the death of my mum. It's been a really difficult time, and even though she was 98 and had a pretty good life, even though she had lots of difficulties in her lifetime, she enjoyed pretty good health up until the last couple of years and it's still a huge loss of course and I really appreciate all the people who have reached out and sent their condolences. So it was a really good break for me. I just decided that with everything else that had been going on and trying to rush to get everything done before I went away, I just needed the complete break away from writing, away from life in general and also away from the podcast. So just in terms of organizing and recording and all editing, all that sort of thing. If you can hear any snuffling in the background, by the way, that is my dog, Teddy, who, for those of you who are watching on video, I'll just move the camera down, is joining us here in the study. I'm not in the caravan today recording, but Teddy's decided to make sure that he is with us here in the study and taken up residence in the chair. No sport dogs in this house. So it's great to be back and I'm really excited to get back into chatting to authors about their books and about the writing life and the business of writing for the rest of the year from now until December, until we finally make it over that line where we have the big break in summer. So just to let you know about a few things coming up on the podcast, I have a few episodes that have been recorded before I went away that I didn't get a chance to put out. So we're going to have Meredith Jaffe talking to debut novelist Carrie Cox. We have Maya Linnell chatting to Paige Toon, and I'm also going to be chatting to Maya as part of that uh, episode and doing a bit of an intro chat and talking to Maya about her latest release and writing. And today's episode is a fabulous panel with Penelope Janu talking to Amy Hutton, Karina May and Lucy Lever about writing romance and about their debut books. So there's lots coming up. There's some great things in the pipeline. I'm hoping to get Kel Woods onto the podcast to talk about her fabulous new debut fantasy slash fairy tale novel called After the Woods, which, After the Forest, sorry. And it's amazing. I read it before I went away and it was just brilliant. And I've got Monique Mulligan coming up on the podcast and there's a whole lot more planned. Don't forget, if you're a regular listener and there is a particular people that you'd love to hear interviewed on the podcast, do send me an email and let me know. You can find all the details for that on the website, but you can email me at w4wpodcast at gmail.com or just message me via Facebook or Instagram and let me know who you'd like to hear, who you'd like to see, 
if you watch on YouTube and also any topics about writing or the writing life that you would like covered on the podcast. So it'd be great to have your input if there's any of those things that you would like me to investigate or to let you know about. So I thought I'd just, before we get into today's episode, because I haven't been on for a while, I'd give you a little bit of a writing update about what I am doing with my writing. And I'm very happy to say I am writing. Again, I'm back into it. It's been a little bit hit and miss this year with everything going on with mum, but I have a deadline and that deadline is to for a book that has to go to my audio publisher, Belinda, by the end of October. So I'm about two thirds of the way through that draft and have been revising unusually been revising as I go. And I've got the last third of that book to write still, although I know a little bit in my head now about what I'm doing. What I have been doing to get back into that is obviously to reread it. I've had a good writing buddy, Penelope Janu, read that for me and give me some feedback as well on where she feels it could go because I do have quite a short amount of time in which to get finished. But I was also listening to a fabulous podcast called Helping Writers Become Authors, and that's by K.M. Wayland, W-E-I-L-A-N-D. Kate is a long-time writing craft author and author, of course, of her own fiction books. She writes for Writer's Digest. She resides, I believe, in the US, but she does have this fabulous podcast. It's quite an intense podcast about craft, but she tackles in each episode one particular topic, usually about plotting or something around characterization or something like that. The episode might go for 15 minutes or 20 minutes where she really delves deeply into that topic. So I listened because I was a little bit stuck on turning points. Did I have the right inciting incident where my turning points driving the narrative forward? And I had this suspicion or I really knew that there wasn't enough narrative drive happening in the novels. I went back and I listened to a f- probably about three or four in a row of K.M. Whelan's podcast episodes from Helping Writers Become Authors all to do with things like the inciting incident, the first plot point, the midpoint, and then she goes on to talk about the black moment and the climax and really nailing down what's happening at those turning points and how that is driving the action of the story. So for me, it was all about trying to tie in the goal and the desire and the wants of my character with the external plot. And if you can marry those two things up and make sure that there is a connection between them, it really gives you some something to dig your teeth into as a writer and definitely for the reader when they get to that point. So I'm currently just going back and tweaking my turning points, really making sure that my inciting incident is something that is going to trigger the, the character to act and to drive the story forward and then making sure that the subsequent turning points at 25%, 50%, 75%, etc., are all doing the job that they need to do in order to keep the plot moving and to keep that character changing, growing, moving the story forward and ending up at that climactic moment, which I'm not exactly sure what that's going to be yet for my story, but it's starting to come together and I am making sure that I am working on that every day. So even if it's just an hour here or there, although I do need to, as I said, I do have this deadline for the end of October, so the bum glue is required and is being applied quite liberally. And uh, my fabulous writing group, the Inkwell, who I had a meeting with today, we had our regular fortnightly meeting. We've been a little bit fragmented lately because we've all been doing such different things, but we had a great meeting today and we're back to doing some writing sprints. So I can highly recommend those as well. If you're in need of motivation and even if it's 
just somebody out there online that you connect with that you can say, let's do an hour's writing, let's do two hours writing, let's write between 10 and 12 or two and four or one and two, whatever time it is that works for you, six to seven in the morning, if that's what works. Just knowing that there's somebody else out there doing it can be motivating and it means you can also check in with each other at the end. How many words did you get? How did you go? Did you have any problems? Anything you want to discuss? All those sorts of things are are really useful in terms of doing your writing sprint. That's something I highly recommend. That's my writing tip for the week actually is to find a writing buddy or two or more and see if you can organize some sprints to help you get the words down, push forward with your story and keep yourself motivated and accountable. So that's where I'm at in terms of that. I have got two audiobooks out now from my backlist. So if you weren't aware, I did sell the rights for my backlist to Belinda earlier in the year, last year actually. And so far I've had All We Dream come out on audio and in July, Blackwater Lake, which was my first ever published book, came out as an audiobook. So that is the 10th anniversary revised edition. And also in the pipeline for me is getting that revised edition out in print and ebook. So that will be coming in the next couple of months as well. So there's lots happening. And I also am part of an anthology that's coming out in October, on October 4. I'll tell you a little bit more about that down the track. And that's coming out with HQ. It's called Country Vet Christmas. And there are five authors in there who are rural fiction and rural romance authors who have written stories centered around Christmas and a vet. So that will be coming out in October. So more about that later. The last thing I wanted to leave you with before we get onto the podcast is that I did go to the RWA conference, the Romance Writers of Australia conference, two weekends ago, straight from getting off the plane from Spain, actually, and I spent the weekend completely jet lagged, but also having a fabulous time with a bunch of other writers and just talking about writing, learning about writing, going to the workshops. Having a few champers and doing the awards dinner on the Saturday night. But there was a fantastic author there. This was the big takeaway for me from the conference. This author was called Stephanie Holm. Now, Stephanie is a New Zealand author. She's not an author in a genre that I would normally read or probably that I will read, to be honest. She writes werewolf, vampire, mystery, erotica sometimes, but along those lines. So in that kind of specficky fantasy type lane. She's a smart cookie and she is very quirky and amazingly lovely and just gave the best keynote speech that really resonated with me. And a couple of things she said that I just want to leave you with to think about. The theme of her talk was don't quit before the miracle. So meaning that she had put out books in a few different genres. She tried a few different things. She wasn't selling anything. She's an indie author, wasn't actually working for her. And then she decided to write in a different genre and bang, found her audience. The books blew up. She is making lots and lots of money. She's writing lots and lots of books. She has a great following. And the most important thing is that she is loving her life as an author with a really well-established, successful author business. So The fact that she didn't quit before that miracle occurred and before her books really hit the big time in that quite niche genre that she's in, I think is a really important message. And it's something that really resonated with me. As I have talked about before on the podcast, and I mentioned just now, I do have this Belinda backlist deal with my books, turning them into audio books. And that's 
I never expected. I thought, yeah, it'd be great to have all my books out on audio. They didn't come out on audio when they were published the first time around. Uh, and it's something that I daydreamed about and thought, yeah, I probably should do that at some stage, but it was all too hard. And then I never really expected to get them all in audio and particularly to also have a deal which includes two new books in audio. So it's giving me the opportunity to write two new books completely fresh, to have them out in audio first and then to do whatever I choose to do with the print and ebook rights. While that's nowhere near as big a miracle as Stephanie's and what she was talking about, it is, I think, really important to, particularly in the face of if you're getting rejections, and we all do, we've talked about this on the podcast before, our rejections are just part of the writing life. If you're wanting to be published, it's going to happen some stage or other, it might be sooner, it might be later. And it can be quite disheartening, can be really disappointing. You can feel that you might have written five or six manuscripts and been submitting them and just had no luck. But if it's in your blood and if it's in your heart and if writing is something that you really want to keep doing and you want to be part of that writing world and the public, being part of the publishing industry, keep going, keep doing it. And you might have to adjust the way you're doing it. You might look at independently publishing instead of going for a traditional publishing deal, which can be really difficult to get, not to say that you can't get it, but look at various options and keep talking to people, keep yourself in the world of publishing, keep yourself in the world of books and writing and keep looking for options and keep your eyes open and your ears open and you will find that something will come up. You will actually maybe have your own miracle just like Stephanie did or maybe a little mini miracle like I did but definitely don't quit before the miracle as Stephanie said and the other thing that she said that really resonated with me was about listening to your gut listening to your instincts in terms of what you decide to do and not do as part of your job as part of your writing job as part of your life if saying yes to something gives you a little bit of or a lot of that sense of friction and that little bit of a queasy feeling when you do agree to do something or if you are doing something and it's making you feel like, no, I really don't want to be doing this, but you're doing it anyway. Have a think about why are you doing that? Maybe it's time to say no to things. Maybe it's time to pull back and really think about what it is that gives you the opposite of that, which is that little spark of joy and that little frisson of excitement when you think about doing that thing. And maybe trying to think a little bit more instinctually about what works for you and what does bring you joy. And of course, we can't just spend our whole life doing things that bring us joy. Maybe we can, but sometimes we have to look at the realities, but maybe trying to minimize the things that are making us feel ill or queasy when we say yes to them and giving us a not very nice feeling and maybe trying to maximize those things that do bring us joy. So one of the things that I have resolved to do more of is to ride my horse more and to be doing more with my horses. So I have a number of horses here that are in the paddock that aren't being ridden, but not to say that I can't do things with them. And of course, I am riding my beautiful boy, Baloo, and wanting to spend doing more time doing that, which means doing less of some other things. And I'm in the process of weeding some of those things out and cutting back on them so that I have more time. And of course, making sure that I have time to write prioritizing the writing, making sure that is one of the first things that I do in the day, if not the first thing, and really focusing on word count, getting the words down and doing that as a daily practice and making it a habit once again. 
if you'd like to chat about any of those things, if any of those things resonate with you, feel free to send me an email at w4wpodcasts at gmail.com or you can find my details on my website, pamelacook.com.au and contact me that way. So now to today's panel. We have a fabulous panel of romance authors headed up by the wonderful Penelope Janu, who is a multi-published romance author of rural romance. And Penn has just some fantastic books out there that you can get your hands on. The heroines are always interesting. The heroes are always quite hunky and also quite, what's the word, quite guarded in a way, mysterious even. If you love interesting characters, often with some sort of quirky thing going on with them and you love that kind of tension between hero and heroine that don't necessarily always see eye to eye at the beginning, quite enemies to lovers, but definitely along those lines, Penn's books will be for you and also set in amazingly beautiful rural settings. So Penn is chatting in this episode to three debut romance authors, Lucy Lever, who has a brand new book out, Mystic Rich, Amy Hutton, who has also a brand new book out, Sit, Stay, Love, and Karina May, who has a reasonably new romance book out, Duckle Orange. Penn's talking to these three fantastic authors about writing romance, about being debut authors, and just about the whole writing life and their writing processes. Sit back, grab a cuppa, or if you're not in the position to grab a cuppa, you might be walking, gardening, you might be lying back in a hammock with your eyes closed, you might be driving, in which case I hope your eyes are not closed. Whatever you're doing, I hope that you really enjoy this episode with Penelope Janu, Amy Hutton, Karina May, and Lucy Lieber. Have a great writing week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rights for Women podcast. I have the pleasure of hosting uh, on behalf of Pamela Cook, and she would have already introduced us, I think. And we have three wonderful guests here, all with new romantic comedy books out this week and all debut authors, although I know you've probably been published in other ways as well. First of all, then, we have Amy Hutton. She writes stories that are funny, sweet and a little steamy, sometimes even spooky, but always romantic and full to the brim with feels. Amy's debut novel, Sit, Stay, Love, was released through Simon & Schuster Australia in August 23. Amy gave up her full-time job in network television to follow her full-time love of writing. Second, we have the lovely Lucy Lever, a former social worker who decided to give creative writing a go later in life. She'd never think of going anywhere without a book. Lucy's debut novel, Mystic Ridge, was released through HQ HarperCollins Australia in July 2023. Lucy lives on Sydney's coastal fringe, but book in hand, she makes frequent visits to the New South Wales North Coast. And last but not least... Karina May, she pens larger-than-life characters and bold narratives with plenty of heart. Karina's debut print novel, Duck Orange for Breakfast, was released through Pam McMillan Australia in April 2023. When Karina isn't dreaming up her next shirtless love interest, you might find her rescuing her Kindle from the bath or guzzling espresso martinis in the name of research. So welcome, all of you, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. 
Thanks, and maybe we'll start with you, Amy. First of all, just a brief introduction to you, your background, how you came to publish. We are going to go into detail in sort of romantic comedy and the genre of romantic comedy later on. But as we know, it's very difficult to get a deal with a traditional publisher or to have an accessible novel anyway. Your novel's out next month, so it's all at the very exciting stage. Can you give us a little bit of background about how you came to be at this point? Um, I actually pitched this last year at the Romance Writers of Australia conference in Fremantle. So I had not long finished it and I had done two pitches, I think, in at the Australian Society of Authors virtual speed dating, which I literally got the last knockback because I got I pitched twice, got two requests, and I got the last knockback the day I arrived at the Fremantle con- conference. So I was like, oh, there we go. And so then I pitched it at Fremantle and to... Cassandra DeBello at Simon & Schuster and it just went from there. She asked for a full manuscript a couple of weeks later, beginning of November. She was like, what else are you doing? And then there was about two weeks after there was like, can I give you a call? And I was like, yeah, that's how it happened. And we turned it around very quickly as you can see because it's turned around in less than a year. So it was, they basically said, we're going to get this out. And so we just put our heads down and went for it. Fabulous. And you, Lucy? I also pitched at a Romance Writers Conference. I think it was the 2019 conference. No, actually it was the 2020 conference because it was a virtual conference. So I did a virtual pitch to Rachel Donovan from Harlequin, HarperCollins, and she asked for the full manuscript. And along the way, my then editor, Alex, Alexandra Nalus became my agent. And anyway, we ended up somehow with a book deal. I, I highly recommend pitching at conferences. And in fact, I'm now the pitch coordinator for the next Romance Writers of Australia conference in August. Yes, yeah, so very, I feel very lucky that Rachel Donovan liked my manuscript enough to publish it. Thank you. And Karina, so your book came out in April. Can yeah. Tell a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, so I've also pitched at live events, including the RWA conference, and that's when I got my digital deal, which was my book in 2020, can't even remember. But Duck was actually picked up off the slush pile, which is open submission. So I'm a slush pile baby, which everyone tells you it has really low strike rate, and that it's frequently interns (laughs) out of reading it. But mine happened to cross the desk of my amazing publisher, who liked what he read, and then Following that, it was monthly emails from me just checking in until about four months after he requested the full manuscript, he got about COVID, which actually worked in my favour because he actually had time to settle in and read my manuscript. And from there, I signed my deal with Pam McMillan. And also it was a pretty fast process for me. I think it was from signing to the book coming out was less than a year. So it's definitely been a wild ride. Yeah, and that's a really interesting aspect, and we'll look at it later as far as romantic comedy becoming more and more popular. Yeah, certainly with Amy and Karina, and I think I've had a a book that was republished this year in at the deep end, again, because romantic comedy is big and has quite a different cover to the first time it was released. Okay, all right, now I'm going to put you on the spot. I want three of you, if you could, just to do a really short elevator pitch as to what your story is about, just a very brief introduction. Amy, start with you. Oh, no. Sorry. (laughs) I'm like, no, somebody else. Okay, so Sarah owns a pet rescue shelter. Toby is her best friend and resident vet. And Ethan is a gorgeous and successful actor who is terrified of dogs. While Sarah and Ethan work together to conquer his dog phobia for a star-making role, 
Sarah's surprised to find herself falling for him, but not half as surprised as she is when Toby starts acting like a jealous boyfriend. So Sister Love is a friends to lovers, grumpy sunshine, love triangle with puppies, hotties, and lots of heart. Oh, wonderful. Okay, it's a high bar, Lucy. Off you go. <laughs> it is a very high bar. Okay, Mystic Ridge is set in a fictional version of Mullumbimby on the New South Wales North Coast and also in a music festival. And it's uh, the story of, it's a countercultural romance and it's with mystical elements. It's the story of Claire who is a tarot reader and soul parent who has to fight to save her rainforest home from a demon developer who wants to turn it into a high-end wellness retreat for international jet setters. And along the way, she meets Leo, who's a local journalist, who's determined to see both sides of every story, including this one, even though Claire can only see one. So a lot of conflict there. (laughs) And finally, Karina. Yeah, so Duck is a story about Maxine Mayberry, who we meet at the hardest time in her life. She has just broken up with her long-term partner and been diagnosed with a brain tumour. So she moves in with her bestie, Alice, who convinces her to sign up to Tinder. There she meets her witty Tinder pen pal, Johnny, and they begin to cook through recipes of Max's ex-boyfriend's family, the Laurent family, a pretentious French family's cookbook in what is called the Fort Kim Project. So the story is told through 14 French recipes and travels from Sydney to Paris and back again. So it's got all of those Nora Ephron vibes and also the fun banter that I love in my rom-coms. Wonderful. And I was lucky enough to read all three of these authors' books <laughs> before they were actually published. And that's the thing, and just with you, the way you're speaking about them now, and Karina, you mentioned the travel aspect. We're going to France in your particular book. Lucy, you're, we're up in the north coast, beautiful hinterland of New South Wales as well. Amy, yours is sit much, set much more firmly in Sydney, yet you've got this kind of movie star guy who, who comes from the other side of the world as well. What is romantic comedy? How are they so different? What makes people laugh? Any of you, do you had you always written rom-com, Karina? Did, was it a natural fit for you? How did you start? Yeah, it's my favourite genre to read. So I think they say, write what you read. <laughs> and I think my natural voice just lends itself to the rom-com genre. I began writing before I started trying to attempt to write long fiction, a little short stories or vignettes, and they were mostly dating stories, which typically have a lot of humor in them dating stories that go wrong and so that's how I actually started to write creatively and then yeah that naturally just lent itself I think to the rom-com genre but I'm a massive reader of the genre and also a consumer of movies I love the feel-good fuzzy nature of it as well as the hope and everything that romance brings I enjoy writing it as much as I enjoy reading it wonderful and Lucy how did you come to rom-com Uh, I was trying to write so-called literary fiction for many years and and I actually really enjoyed reading romantic comedy and then I did a romance writing course with Anne Gracie from who's a very well-known romance writer and joined Romance Writers of Australia and suddenly discovered a new voice, which was actually not a new voice at all. When I think about it, I had an older brother who used to tease me and friends who I've always done verbal sparring with. So I was just really enjoyed the playfulness of the genre, enjoyed in conversation, and I really enjoyed writing it as well. And it's really fun to put characters in situations where there's the potential for comedy and slapstick. For example, one of my characters who hates the bush finds herself in the bush. And it's, it was just fun. It was fun to write. And I hadn't had so much fun writing 
prior to that. That's wonderful. Yes, and you, Amy? I actually, when I first started thinking about doing this more seriously, I was looking, it's going to sound very weird, I was looking more towards horror because, like, horror and romance, weird, I know, are my two favourite genres and rom-com is, like, my favourite. I watch a lot of rom-com movies and have always read a lot of rom-com books, but horror also is something that I really love as well. So in my head I was like, I think I'm going to do that. But when I started to writer it turned into a more of a romance with some spooky elements and it turned out to be really a bit funny like their banter was very witty and funny and I was like oh that's a bit interesting I wasn't quite expecting it I'm obviously a pantser I wasn't quite expecting it to turn out like that then I started writing some short stories and they were all little short romantic comedies little fluffy cute romantic comedies and I was like huh I was still writing this series in this kind of paranormal rom-com, my paranormal rom-com world, when the story, this story popped into my head and Sit, Stay, Love, and I just banged out like the first chapter, not even chapter, like the first little bit, which was my idea. And I went back to writing this other book and I still haven't finished that other book because this one just kept coming into my brain. And so I, I started writing it and I just think I'm, I was, I'm drawn towards writing funny banter. I really enjoy banter. I really enjoy witty sort of situations and awkward romantic situations and the kind of chaos that can happen around love and how funny that can be as well as how moving and deep and heartfelt and hurty and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of awkwardness that comes around setting up relationships and things like that, which is super fun. And And it is a genre I absolutely love. And so, yeah, I just, I guess that's, I'm now a rom-com writer. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Well, and that's when you mentioned banter and when you, in your introduction, you mentioned your book, the different tropes for those who might not know what they are and tropes in romance and tropes in romantic comedy. You mentioned Grumpy Sunshine. Yeah. So the others are those hate to love, enemies to lovers, Grumpy Sunshine. Lucy, you're talking about your brother. It's the brother's best friend is another one, actually. <laughs> I didn't realise that was a trope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, forced in- intimacy. So what, what tropes or Karina, what are your favourites to, to write or to read or to watch? Yeah, I love Enemies to Lovers, I think. my I've actually got a book coming out in November this year, December this year, actually, and it's a Second Chance Romance and Enemies to Lovers. So I think they're my favourite tropes and then I mush them together. But I also love Forbidden Love, actually, classic like Romeo and Juliet not a rom-com, but <laughs> the tension that you get from that. And also workplace romance. One of my first rom-com, like big rom-com reads was Sally Thorne's The Hating Game. And I think she does that workplace rom-com and also forced proximity. So the one bed trope, I love the flat share by Beth O'Leary as well. So I can't pick, obviously. I love them all. I know, but isn't that a wonderful difference we're seeing now in the months in the more modern workplace romances, as opposed to many years ago, the boss in the powerful position and then the love interest invariably was a secretary. And that's changed dramatically. And I think that's been a wonderful opportunity for, for rom-com authors like Emily Henry or many to actually explore those issues of women's empowerment and also, yeah, women's position in the workplace and so on. It's excellent. Lucy, how about you? A tropes or your kind of characters would you not enemies to lovers obviously or is this something you weren't thinking about anyway I must admit I didn't think about tropes until I'd actually written the book but I do love a trope I I love the enemies to lovers 
of not the last Bridgerton series, the series before that. And of course, Pride and Prejudice, wonderful enemies to love a story. Yeah. Also, like Karina, love forced, forced proximity. And I don't mind a marriage of convenience in a historical romance like Outlander. Don't mind it at all. <laughs> I've got a bit of fake dating in my book. Yeah, that was it was accidental, but but I really enjoyed it once I got into it. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, I love them all. Like Karina, love them all. And we can talk a little bit and we can bring the rom-com into this too, but as far as writing craft and so on goes, you mentioned you're a pantster, Amy, so you just make it up as you go along or what's your process? I'll link this to another question. What came first when you're actually writing this book? Did you have your character, Sarah? Was it the dog aspect? It was literally the first scene, was the first thing that came into my head. It just came fully fleshed out into my head out of nowhere, probably when I was out walking the dogs or something, and I saw this first scene in my head and I wrote that. And it went from there. I, I it wasn't necessarily setting out to write like something about an animal rescue shelter or, or something set on the northern beaches, which is an area I know. But it's certainly when I started writing, I I brought those elements in because that was something that I, I'm interested in, and I wanted to write in this area that I live as well because not I haven't read a lot from around here, and it's a very diverse area to live in with trees and beaches and bushy bits and and but yeah this it really came from I guess maybe character in that sense in that it, it came very clearly who she was and her voice and her in this chaotic situation as she's trying to rescue kittens and it came from there but it was like this scene just went poink into my head this was a very easy book to write it just went flop straight out of me and how long would it take you to write roughly Probably a few months. Yeah, it was pretty pretty quick, I guess. And then there was all the the editing and stuff after that. But I guess that first draft was down within three months, pretty much. And that was probably with a bit of work in between, contract work and stuff. So it was pretty quick. But yeah, I don't think it came specifically from an idea of I want to do this or anything. The same thing with the tropes. I don't think those, those tropes that I've got in my book, ones that I personally love, I certainly didn't go, I'm going to write those tropes. They just were the tropes that happened between the characters. As the characters came to life and came out of me, that's what happened. That's what they chose to do. And I think that's one of the fallacies, of course, of romance writing that some people think that it is a formula and that never is it. It's the characters. <laughs> the characters determine what's going to happen between them and that's what leads to the story and the situations. How about you, Lucy? Did you start with, you started with your character, I think, pretty early on, didn't you? And went from I there. did. I entered my story in a competition and didn't place anywhere for the romance writers again. And I said it in, I'd just been to a sort of old counterculture market out the back of Mullumbimby. On, in a beautiful green field next to a hall that had been built by the hippies, I suppose, in the 1970s. So it was a beautiful setting and I was entering a competition which required a tiger's eye, which I have in the story changed to a moonstone and it just lent itself to the idea of a tarot reader at a market. So, yeah, place and then character because the character of the tarot reader developed from there and I really fell for her and wanted to find out what happened to her. So there wasn't any plotting of other characters or the love interest or they all just came to you on the page as you wrote? Pretty much. I have said that I'm a pantser and I mostly am, but when I'm, I I am a bit prone to wandering off on tangents because my minor characters often take over the action. 
So I do then have to rein myself in and write some notes and try and structure the chapters a bit more than I'd planned to. (laughs) But yeah, the characters did, they lent themselves to comedy, they lent themselves to the setting and the story did have a life of its own, but I did also structure it and control it to some extent. Yeah. And Karina, how about you? I think I'm a hybrid. So I'm a pantser and a potter. Duck started. So the story has some of my own personal experience in that Max, the main character, faces brain surgery, which is something that I faced in 2019 and 2020. And that was when the idea of this book came. I wanted to explore some of the feelings I had, which was the clarity of purpose, all those cliche things when you're facing something scary. I was really concerned that I might wake up different, which made me really realize how important creativity and actually writing was to me. So there's a scene in the book where Max is in ICU recovering from surgery and asked to listen to an audiobook, which is something that I did as well. It was one of the ways I was trying to work out if my brain was operating the same way that it had prior to the surgery. But I also knew that to write this story, it was going to have to be funny I didn't want to write A Fault in the Stars, but yeah, it definitely came from Max knowing what I wanted to achieve with the theme of what what happens when you are faced with something like that in your life and then added the colour around that. But the title actually came to me basically straight away as well. So I think I was still in hospital when I came up with the title and I typically write that way where I don't plot, but I like to know what the heading is and then I can play underneath that. So once I had the title, I had to think how that made sense. So I knew some major plot points, but how I was going to get between (laughs) those different plot points was where I had fun because I do believe for me, the magic happens when I'm in that subconscious place while still knowing obviously the themes I want to tackle and where the story is going loosely. But I have to be able to be surprised while I'm writing to keep that magic happening and for motivation as well. Yeah. And that's something that probably leads us into just the voice that a good romantic comedy has. It's something, it's very different in the books that you read. And there are shades, and this is something Amy mentioned earlier, and Karina, you've touched on it there, the lightness and the shades. It's not all, it's not all laughs, is it? We have to create characters that people really relate to, that people care about, and the laughs come with that. And that's something I suppose, as far as we all know, you know, even if writing the novel quite quickly, there's editing, which can be a nightmare. Did your novels become funnier while editing? Did you have to tone the humour back? Humour is such a personal thing and I think it's very easy if you don't relate to the particular humour in a novel, you'd say that's just not funny. And we do that, don't we, in movies or television shows. So, yeah, but characters, humour, do you think that's just something that comes naturally? And the light and the dark. And have a go at that one, Lucy. <laughs> tragedy, I think most of us know that tragedy and comedy are very close together and it's possible to cover, as Karina has, some very, even to go into some very dark places in a rom-com because there's humour in every situation. There's People laugh at funerals and it wakes hilariously. So I suppose what I would do, the way I write, is I'll write a passage and uh, it may or may not be funny. Sometimes, some I may or may not think it's funny. Sometimes the characters are just bounce off each other and the humour, it feels like the humour's there on the page. But if it isn't there, I'll read a passage from one of my favourite 
comic writers. And I suppose the two that spring to mind for me are an American writer called Laurie Moore and a British rom-com writer called Valmay McFarlane. And so I'll read a page or two from one of their books and then I'll go back and I'll, I'll make my passage more funny. I'll work it a bit. So that's the kind of editing as I go. That's how I bring the comedy in sometimes. If it's not just there, it doesn't just flow flow out onto the screen. Yeah. And you, Amy, do you have to wrap things up, cut it back, or did it just come naturally? I think it just comes naturally. It, I don't remember ever having to ramp up or ramp down the comedy. My The characters just I think about the only thing that I had to do is when I was in the editing process with my publisher, one of the first pieces of feedback I got was, Amy, this is not a screenplay, which was very much me because a lot of humour is in the the back and forth between the characters. Also writing something that is at a pet rescue place and with animals just also leans its way towards funny and slightly chaotic situations because animals. But for me, most of I think the comedy comes between the people in their conversation, in the characters in their conversation, but also in their interactions and the situations that they find themselves in. I don't recall ever having to amp anything up or down. It just happens on page, I think, between the characters. They just make it happen. Yeah, I just have to remember that it's not a screenplay sometimes <laughs> because I write a lot of banter and it's all back. Okay. Yeah. And Karina? Yeah, like Amy, I definitely favour dialogue because it's so fun to write. In my book, there's a lot of text message banter, but also there's a lot of humour between the cliche best friend or the sidekick. Alice and Max, that was a lot of fun to write. And I typically, yeah, also am a bit lean maybe on the description of their location and surroundings. I used to work for home magazines, so I love detailing like a kitchen bench top in detail, but then I jump straight to dialogue. So I think fleshing out those bits. But then I am also guilty of having too much fun in dialogue and sometimes having to pair it back. More is not always more when you're trying to make yourself laugh or your first readers laugh. I can definitely sometimes prioritise gags over the heart of the story. And as Lucy said, and what my book also touches on is just some of those darker places and you want to make sure that it's helping with the depth of the story and and not taking it away with some cheap laughs and giggles, even though I do love those one-liners I can say for the pub. Yeah. And that's just touching again on, I guess, on humour. Yeah, I suppose in when you're writing or when you've written these particular novels, and we'll get to this later, but you're probably working on new novels now, do you need to be in a certain headspace though or is it just like when you're reading or when you're writing other things that the characters form in a certain way and they have certain humour? A darkness in your own life, does that have an issue for you when you're actually writing? Does it ever stop you writing or is there ever a time where you think, I cannot look at this book again because it's meant to be a certain thing and I'm not feeling it at the moment? Amy? I don't I, I know that if I'm if I've got a lot of very stressful stuff happening that I it I find it harder to focus just basically on anything. So I probably at those times it's a little bit harder to get in and really focus on the work. It might be better just to go and play Disney Dreamlight Valley on my Nintendo for a little while, just to oof my head out. But I do treat this very much like a job in the sense that 
it's I don't I'm lucky enough that I'm doing this full time and I don't think oh I'll just go and do something else this is I come into my office and I write and if I'm having a day where that's difficult maybe that day won't be as long as I would normally do but I would always try and work through it but I would think yeah I don't think it affects what I write I don't think it affects the tone of what I write or what my characters are doing or whether I happen to be funny that day or not. I think it more affects uh, my ability to focus on the work if there's something really heavy going on in my life or something else stressful going on. But otherwise, yeah, I just I try to just get in there and, and do it. And I'll often find as well, if I am going through something a bit stressy and I'm like, just get in there and write, that that, that can be such a lovely lift when you just can disappear into your world that you're building and your characters and they're having a great time and maybe they're kissing and that can actually give you a lift out of any kind of dark place that you might be in is how I find. So Mm. often they can help me get through it. Mm. Yeah, like reading a good book. Yeah. Lucy, would you like to talk to that though? Or you're, you're working on your next books now? Yeah, I love what Amy just said about your characters almost being like friends who can cheer you up when you're in a dark space. That's just gorgeous. Yes, so I must admit I've been very distracted this month because my first book has come out and I've organised three events now, two, two quite big ones, one really huge one, and my concentration has been shot and I haven't been sitting down at my desk at all. But I'm, I find myself calming down now. Yeah, I'm ready to start writing again. So I guess that's, that tells me that I have to keep my stress levels at a reasonable level. Otherwise, I won't be able to function and I won't be able to write. But certainly a deadline helps. So if someone is waiting for my book and my editor was waiting for my second book, that really helped me to sit down and get the words on the page and and now I want to finish the edits on my second book and really get my third book is calling me. I will from now on do what I have done in the past, which is sit down every day and chain myself to the desk and write and enjoy it. I will enjoy it once I'm here. I know that. <laughs> Excellent. Karina, judge talk to that? Yeah. And Lucy, I also struggled to write while doing promotion. I think it's two different parts of your brain where it's harder to access that subconscious part that I need for writing when you're so consciously promoting a product, especially for the first time. So I definitely, yeah, had six weeks or so where I just couldn't really write. And I started to beat myself up about it. But then I was like, compassionate. This is all first time stuff. And this is a whole different phase of enjoyment. But typically, yeah, I it's not so much darkness I can't write through, but it's just when I'm bored or like my life is boring. So I get a lot of my inspiration from external sources, I think, whether that's traveling or just being in a new setting. So I wrote a lot of duck during the lockdowns or the on and off lockdowns. And there's actually a plot in my book where the cookbook drop is done at an Ikea. And the reason that made its way into the story was because it was one of the places I visited during that lockdown time, because it was next to the vaccination center that I went to. And I just, my senses had been so deprived. And suddenly I walked into Ikea and I was noticing these people and the colors and the products and all the things. So that really crystallized to me how important what I'm doing kind of outside the home or outside of the work is. I have I am out guzzling martinis uh, doing research in my bio for a reason I definitely am a big people watcher and I'm most inspired when I'm watching interactions or seeing new things so 
if I've gone a few weeks of just having a very boring <laughs> life, I do start to get that itch and I'll take myself to a cafe or something just to vary up my space to get those juices flowing again. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting, you know, a good point for authors. And I know that a lot of writers obviously listen to this podcast as well who aren't yet published and that just really leaning into those first few weeks of a new release because it is, and it is overwhelming. It is a, for me, as a lawyer, I'd never been in a public space or anything before. And it was confronting in that way and uncomfortable. And I didn't have a release for my first book and I didn't really have a big writing community around me either. And so now I'm just such a supporter of authors, just celebrating that. And then because, because it's so easy to think about, but I haven't written the second book or the second book hasn't come out yet or I've got a whatever. It's it's such an achievement. It's a wonderful one for all three of you. Okay, so I think we've looked at, I think, some of the challenges and I know, Amy, yours, your book's going to be the most recently released one. Karina, I think you've had a wonderful time. Yeah, I've had such a great experience. You try and picture what it's like, but then, yeah, to actually have readers respond to your work and send you messages. Yeah, it's been a dream run for me I keep saying it is like I'm a big fan of the show Younger and I just feel like I have stepped into Younger which is a New York publishing house so not quite New York but there's been a lot of fun events and I feel very lucky that my debut came out this year and not in previous years where I do feel like that experience was hampered so I've definitely wanted to take the moment and as much as yeah you do feel a bit emotionally constipated <laughs> sometimes just making sure I'm checking how am I feeling I'm enjoying this so yeah it was definitely yeah everything that I could have asked for I think in a new release that's wonderful and Lucy you're still in the midst of yours so let's keep enjoying it definitely for some time yet um Okay, and now more a well, specific, more writing tip, I suppose. I'm a bit of a backstory person because I always get into trouble because I have to bring my backstory forward constantly. So I write a whole book and I think I've got it all balanced. And then it's basically from my publisher and editor is why on earth is she behaving like this? And you only find out at the end, probably because I've only found out at the end. So you're bringing that backstory forward. But that's the first thing with backstory. Any, do you have any particular problems with it or issues with it? And also if you could just briefly, romantic comedy is often first person, can be first person present, first person past, or it can be third person. And you're all, interestingly, with me too, I think all four of us are have written romantic comedy in a different way. Again, there are no rules. But maybe I'll start with you first, Amy. As far as backstory, was that ever a problem with this book that flowed from you and the way you like to write or your, yeah, whether you write first, third or whatever person? I write this book's in third person, and but I also write in third person dual point of view. I really enjoy writing that because I quite enjoy writing in a guy's voice as well as a female voice. So the piece I'm working on now is... There's only one point of view in Six Day Correct. Love. There's only one point of view in Six Day Love. It's a single point of view, third person. And But I've written also written short stories in first person, past tense and first person, present tense. So I've written in all areas. I think for me, it's probably a little easier in third person but I'm I actually would like to but my, the one I write after the one I'm doing now I'm thinking about probably doing it at the moment it's looking like it's going to be in first person past tense so I'll have written in all three and uh, but backstory wise I think for me that often flows with the characters but if I'm having issues with that which I have in I don't think I did in this one maybe I did I don't remember but I have in others I'll actually jump out and almost write a short story just about that character and really dig into 
who they are. It might be like a 5,000-word short story that goes back to when they're a child or whatever and just really dig into that aspect of them so that for me that then becomes very clear in my head and then there will be elements from that that then I can then just pepper throughout the story to colour them in a little bit more. But I would do that if I'm struggling to figure out exactly why they're doing something like they're doing something. Why did they, like you said, why did they do that? And maybe I do know in my head, but it might be that I really need to know a little bit better. But bringing backstory into the actual story itself, I usually find that fairly organic, though I often do have to go back and bring in extra point of view because I might have like just written something and we don't really know what the character's thinking through this entire situation that's happening in this conversation. And that in itself might bring in elements of backstory because her point of view in this situation might relate directly to something that's happened to her. And I know because it's in my brain, but it's not on the page and I bring it in. So I, I feel like that is probably where the elements of backstory for me a little bit more tricky is bringing it through into point of view. And isn't that the wonderful thing about editors when just with that one line, why? And then suddenly, ah, of course you know it because the character so intimately, but then that wonderful thing that you can do to incorporate it and think, how could it ever have not been here? How could I not have seen it? Lucy? I think almost, and unlike Amy, I find almost inevitably in my first drafts that there's reams of backstory. So I've written in first-person dual point of view and my male character, Leo, does have a bit of a tragic past and I've revealed little bits of backstory just in a fairly standard way, but there's a little bit that's revealed in dialogue. But there was a big info dump at one point and then I thought, oh, I know how I can do that. I can have him, I don't even know what the tense is because I didn't do grammar at school, but he he imagines a conversation he might have had with Claire about his past where he tells her about his past and he says, I could have said this and then she might have said that. And I that was the point where I revealed much of his backstory and I felt like it was lighter, it was much lighter than just dumping it, which can, as we all know, can totally slow down the action of the story and turn people off and make them actually shut the book and walk away and do something practical in the real world, which is what you don't want them to do. You want them to keep turning the pages and reading and staying up all night. And your ne- the books, that the next couple that you're, one that you've written and one that you're starting on are the same tense, the same? The current one, the one that I'm editing at the moment is also dual point of view. I, I got that idea from Beth O'Leary, actually, a, another English rom-com writer. Yeah, also dual point of view, but present tense, which I find is more immediate. And the third book, I think, is also in in present tense at the moment, but I haven't written very much of it, so that could change. It's also dual point of view at the moment. And Karina, you had in Duck, you obviously had the letters were important, or the texts and so on, and those that form of communication mm. is something we're going to find in your next one, or how are things changing? Yeah. No, I think I'll always be very contemporary in that way and include other texts. And it is a different, it's a bit of a tool, a cheater tool to use that different mediums. But yeah, like Lucy was saying, I was looking at what other people do. There's no rom-com school, so maybe there is, I'd love to go. But I loved yeah, Bridget Jones and Sophie Kinsella and they're all first person present tense. So that was my natural voice. Although my digital was third person dual point of view, I do think that I've settled now in first person. But Duck was originally structured chronologically. This was before I submitted. So I worked out myself, which I feel really proud of in terms of my evolution as a writer, that 
perhaps if I carved it up so it wasn't chronological and I could flash back to events where I think it was really important in Duck to understand Max's past relationship with her ex and the only way to get that backstory in was for us to actually revisit there. Yeah, I definitely use kind of some of those tricks where it wasn't chronological and I was using some flashbacks, which I can't remember if I do in my current one, but yeah, I don't know if that's cheating or if that's clever. Backstory, yeah, also woven in, but when there was a lot to say about an incident in the past, I just had to take readers back there. I realized yeah. And that's another tool we use to talking with, even if you're re- writing first person present tense. With flashbacks, you go into past tense, really. So you're talking about something that happened in the past. And that can give quite a different voice, I think, to, to backstory as well, which probably brings us nicely to our getting winding up type of questions. What you're working on now, you've referred to it vaguely, but when would we hope to see the next ones on the shelves and so on? What do you think? Lucy, you want to start with that one? You've written your second one. I've written my second one. It's it's about the alternative funeral industry. So it's also it's set in the same fictional town of Lilypilly, which is based on Mullumbimby on the New South Wales North Coast. It's also a love story and there's a little bit in there about regenerative farming and star-crossed lovers, of course, and, and one of them has a couple of kids. And, I, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun to write. And I just have to do a lot of editing work to get it up to scratch, but it's certainly on its way. And Karina? Yeah, so I have a book coming out November 28 this year. It's been a very busy year for me called Never Ever Forever, and I need to get my pitch down. But the story travels from Mudgee to Mumbai. So in keeping with my love stories for Wonderlusters theme, we always escape somewhere. But it centres around Rosie Royce, who is just done with, dating in the city so she moves to the country in the hopes of meeting a kind-hearted farmer she does not she somehow ends up in India so it's a lot of fun and yeah I really enjoyed writing that one so I'm at the stage of that being typeset right now which is exciting fabulous yep and Amy I don't know what I'm allowed to say about mine so I am you don't have to be specific just no I'm yeah I'm currently working on my second book and that has a delivery date at the end of September. I have, it's written and I'm just going through it and making it better and uh, before it goes to my publisher and my editor and uh, I had, it has been read so I've had feedback so that (laughs) at least that's something, having it read is good by some by someone else and and so that I don't really know what I can say about that one but I I would say that if you like sit stay love then you might like to read this one and then that should be that'll be out next year we haven't determined the date at this point and then there will be a third book as well after that which we have have to lock down the two options and we haven't locked down which one we're going with yet yeah Busy. Good, yeah. And there was something actually, and I did. I should have asked this earlier, but I'm going to ask it now anyway. With rom-com, as when we're talking about rom-com generally, intimate scenes, open doors, closed doors, where do you go with what is expected, what the romance genre itself, expectations of how much romance, do you need to have those characters every chapter or every second chapter get together or how do you deal with that? I think none of us right to a formula that occurs naturally yet in a romance there is that expectation that we see quite a bit of the usually the two main characters do you want to talk to that one Karina 
Yeah. In Duck, it's interesting because they don't meet for a very long time in the book. It's very yes, much, yeah. you've got mail. So yes, there is some self-pleasure scenes as well, which it's interesting. Yeah. In terms of contemporary rom-com, that's definitely got some more talkability than some of the other spicier scenes. So I found that very interesting. So I don't know if that goes against the grain of what normally happens in rom-com, still learning the rules. But yeah, there's uh, not closed door, but I definitely do cut away. I haven't really gone there in spice level yet. I don't think I would know what to, I've got to go to, yeah, school for that as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, but obviously there's still humour even in the sexier scenes. Yeah. And Lucy? Oh, I love the idea of rom-com school. I also want to go there. Maybe Karina and Amy and I can sit in the front row. Oh, me too, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing it like Hogwarts. Romance writers, I love it. Now I've, I've, the question was about the door, door, door closed so door, door is the expectation. Yeah, so door slightly ajar, I'd say. I originally wrote a fairly explicit sex scene, but it wasn't. It was a bit clunky. My ed- my editor at Harlequin basically took most of it out, much to my relief, because I felt really uncomfortable about it, especially after I was asked to read it aloud at a dinner party. And I saw the expressions on the faces of the people that were listening to it, but who for some reason thought it was on the first page, not near the end. So that was a bit traumatic for me. (laughs) Yeah, so door slightly ajar, cut away, and then come back when they're deliriously happy. Yeah, I'm really happy with the way the editor dealt with that. (laughs) Excellent. And Amy? Oh, my door's open. Another manuscript that I wrote, I had the door closed and I submitted it to a publisher in America who had it for quite some time but didn't publish it. And and she came back to me and she said, you really need to open your door. And I was like, I wasn't really sure that I had an open door in me, but I gave it a while and actually, to my surprise, did not mind writing it. In Sit, Stay, Love, the door is open. I don't write, it's not super explicit or anything like that if you read stuff like by tessa bailey it gets pretty raunchy it's not but you're well and truly in the room with them but it is very in character for the two people in the situation and has a lot of humor in it because of that before it gets down into the sexy times and so yeah but it's open and i'm quite happy with writing open i've written open in my new manuscript, I have two open door scenes and in one of them, there's absolutely no doors whatsoever because of where they are. But so I'm okay with that. And I think I, I enjoy reading both or anything. I enjoy reading a closed door, a jar or fully open, as long as it works, I think, with the book and the tone of the book and the characters and who they are and the situation they find themselves in. But yeah, my, my door's open, but it's not particularly explicit. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the issue, isn't it? If it's right for the characters, I and mean, then often we talked earlier about about banter and da- dialogue and so on. My characters tend to talk during sex often, and so that's I'm stuck with that. That is just part of who the characters are, and it's to an extent, well, you might say it's explicit, but not really because it's all very much in keeping with the characters. And if you didn't have that there, you couldn't have those conversations there. Yeah, but it's fascinating how things will change, obviously, with different writers. Sophie Kinsella, mm. I think does a really good slow burn, particularly in her really early books. And there's a very little sex between the characters, but it can be that touch of hand or just that glance across the room and, mm. and that's what good writing does. So, 
I'm looking forward to a debut that's coming out in January with Alan and Unwin by Natalie Murray. I'm not sure if the title's been announced yet, but apparently there's a 26-page sex scene in that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I know a few people that have read it. We can all study it as Simon on it at I, Rom-Com School. I, I did actually <laughs> ask her if she was going to do webinars or something. Just I'll sign up. Sounds good. Okay, just before we finish up, fantastic discussion. Thank you so much, all of you, for all of your insights. But I'd like to know what is at the heart of your writing? Bit of an open-ended question, but what makes you sit down at your desks to write? Lucy? At the heart, I think they're two different questions. At the heart of my writing is love because the world is, it's a, life is hard, the world's a tough place to live in and the the thing that gets us all through is love, not just romantic love but love of friends and family and community and country. Yeah, so that's that love and light I suppose is what I'm trying to bring in to people's lives and my own in my writing. And what gets me to sitting down, I think just curiosity, curiosity about the world, curiosity about what my characters are going to do and say next. I love my characters. I do fall in love with them too. They're almost like real people to me in some ways. Yeah, curiosity and just, it's just magic. It's a magical world that we enter into as writers. It's extraordinary. This thing that we produce, which has for all of us become a book or books, is it's almost it's part of who we are but it's also something separate and it's a wondrous thing to be able to create a book that others can enjoy and perhaps get some insight or at least get some pleasure from that's that really magical thing lovely and Karina yeah, I think at the heart is just to feel good. So I know that the resurgence of rom-com, a lot of it came about during the pandemic to the point I've actually heard rom-com being called like pandemic art. And I think that's because we were leaning into things that made us feel good. So when I'm writing, I feel good. And I love now hearing from readers. It's the highest compliment when they say that reading Duck helped pull them out of some place or they felt really good and warm and fuzzy while reading it or it's their comfort book, their new place that they reread whenever. I've got those books. So it's just a joy that now has translated into something that I've produced. Yeah, beautiful. Yep. And Amy, finish with you. Yeah, I think very similar to what both Lucy and Corinna said. Just to to feel good, I think I try and infuse my stories with a lot of hope that whatever they're going through, is that there's hope that they'll get through it because even though they're all falling in love and it's funny, they're all going through stuff. And just happiness and a bit of joy and sparkles because life can be pretty tricky and it's nice just to disappear into a book that just makes you smile and makes you laugh and makes you feel good and warms you up on the inside and you you walk away with a smile on your face. I love reading books like that. I love it when I'm reading a book or listening to a book in a car and I I realise that my cheeks are hurting because I've just been grinning all the way through a passage because it's just really made me that happy or it's just been that cute or funny. And I think for me that's what I hope I'm infusing in my books and my characters and for me sitting down to write I just love it so it's never a chore 
or very rarely. I love disappearing into my world and my characters. I love seeing what they do. I love them being successful. I love them falling in love and having wonderful, successful moments. I cried my eyes out the other day when one of my characters had a milestone that was really significant. And I cried because it felt very significant for me that they'd finally got to this place. I wrote it. I should know <laughs> they were going to go there, but it was just, oh, I'm so happy for them. Ridiculous. But right. I, that's, I get those feelings when I write it. I also get very connected to my characters. I absolutely adore them. And so I want all the best things for them. I want all the happiness. And I think that's what I try and put through my writing is basically how I'm feeling when I'm writing it. Yeah. Oh, I think that is just the nicest. I'm feeling a bit teary now. Nicest place to finish because I think you're all beautiful writers and you've all written fantastic books. And I think people who are listening will be thinking, this is their debut book. Imagine what else they're going to have because they just are three gorgeous books. And I think you've touched on some really wonderful things that makes reading romantic comedy, reading romance too, so special to so many people and how it's such a special place in our lives and many other people's lives too. Lucy? And Karina and Amy, thank you so much for being here on the Rights of Women podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Penny. Thanks for listening to Rights of Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at w4wpodcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs> <laughs>